Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. If you would like a chance to win a $30 e-gift card of your choice, answer the question at the end of this episode. The e-gift card is with compliments from our friends at Jangler. Hello everybody, I'm Brendan Rogers, the host of the Culture of Things podcast, and this is episode 40. Today I'm talking with Pat Ballone. Dr. Pat is a certified functional medicine practitioner, coach, chiropractor, speaker, and author. She's helped thousands of people over the last 35 plus years stop adapting their lifestyle to pain and chronic problems by focusing on the whole person. The result is that her clients and patients find out the why and the cause of the problem and identify the starting point what, why, where, and how to begin their health journey to live longer, better, and healthier. Dr. Pat is the founder and principal of Ask Dr. Pat Health Team Network, a company dedicated to skyrocketing your health, lifestyle, and mindset with strategies and programs that make sense and help you age gracefully, think, move, and feel better, and live longer and happier. The focus of our conversation today is our health and the impact it has on performing at our best. Dr. Pat, welcome to the Culture of Things podcast. Thank you very much. I love being here. And thank you very much for coming on the episode. I know you've done a very large number of podcasts over this period of the last six months. And I just want to say this is, there's been a few firsts on the Culture of Things pod, podcast. You are the first person that we're recording remotely, but on Zoom as well. So we'll be able to put this on YouTube later on. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to be the person. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, look, I've given you a bit of an intro there and we were talking obviously pre-recording. You've got an unbelievable background and history. You've had over 35 years in this space. So how about you give us a a few minutes of wrapping that up into this space you've got into, why you've got into it and, and how passionate you are about it. I've had so many good teachers and good mentors. And when I went to chiropractic school, I almost decided to quit at one point in time. It was just overwhelming the amount of information. It's all pre-med. It's the same as a pre-med or medical doctor, except that we never studied anything about prescription drugs. We had a little bit of a class, but it wasn't something that was our forte. Just like Western medicine doctors don't study anything about nutrition. You know, they have one class basically. And so... My background, like, you know, in in being there and having the fortunateness of, that's a word, to have really good teachers at specific times. So like, for instance, my teacher who was the nutrition teacher, Dr. Chapel, stuff that he was saying about butter, about fat, and as now what people are saying about butter and about fat, that should never eat margarine. Margarine is carcinogenic. It's a a bond that's not a good bond for you to ingest and expect to be healthy. And and doing it like maybe one time is no big deal, but doing it for consecutive years and eating that way is bad. So he had all these really great, like, you know, tidbits of wisdom that, you know, and learning about nutrition, about micronutrients and macronutrients and how to put them together. And I love that class. It was like the light bulb went on because it became the biggest component of what people could do as a primary choice 
and have control over in any day that they go into. They choose what to put in their mouth. They choose how to nurture themselves. So, you know, he was one of my uh, big ones. And my other mentor in chiropractic, his name was Dr. Victor Frank. He was very eclectic guy, but I will tell you, I had such huge sensitivity to cigarette smoke. And I used to like beer occasionally, every once in a while I'd have a beer and then I suddenly couldn't tolerate it. I would get congested. I would have to get up and leave a table. I would have a headache. It was horrible. And so he, in his technique, which was called total body modification in literally in five minutes, I no longer had those allergies. And I thought, wow, I want to learn this because that's a turning point. That's a everything else that you know, it's icing on the cake. It's the candles on your birthday cake, right? And he always said, which made me, it, I stick to it today. It's like when I'm looking and asking somebody questions, I always ask them like, well, what is it that's going on with this person? Because it isn't necessarily what you got isn't necessarily what you got is what he used to say. He was from Utah or Texas or something like that. So he had that said that with a really Texas straw. But it was interesting because it's true because a lot of times we have signs and symptoms and we go get the treatment for the signs and symptoms. That's usually on the Western medicine front and on a traditional front on that. And they don't ever look at the reason why somebody has something. And that really hit home for me is when I studied and got my master's in oriental medicine and studied acupuncture. That kind of was like the funnel that kind of was pushing everything down in. And it gave me another excellent tool to assess what's going on with somebody so that I could help them and lead them in a fashion so they could go from point A to point C in a the shortest period of time or in a faster way and a better way than you know trying to figure out how to do it on their own. Pretty interesting. It's very interesting, Pat. And, and again, what's going through my head is what what was it that really you know, we put so many things into our body nowadays, whether that be vitamins and other prescription drugs from the doctor and, and we just have a blind trust in doctors. What was it specifically, can you remember, that really got you thinking about taking a more natural path, you know, not putting some of these things into our body? Can you explain that a bit? I can. When I was in my undergraduate, I was doing an independent study and I was doing it at the University of Michigan Hospital. And that was before University of Michigan Hospital turned their hospital into like spa colors. So the walls were like that really icky color green and it was very dingy. And my job was to go greet people who came into the hospital and say, you know, Brennan, I see that you just checked in today. Is there anything that you need? They didn't go the second day. They only sent someone on the first day. Anything you need for your toothbrush, your shaving cream, anything like this, I can get it for you. I can make sure that you get it. Is there anything I can, you know, get you a book and tell me what's going on? And so I would have a list of about somewhere between 75 and 100 people a day to when I went in for my study because I would do it. I did it in an eight hour time span. And so one day I was walking and I was cutting, taking a shortcut through the cancer the oncology ward. And there was a gentleman walking, shuffling. And I said, hi, did I ever meet you? And he said, no. And he goes, and we'll probably never meet again. I said, why is that? And he said, well, because they told me I'm going to die in six weeks. And I went, wow. And you're still here. (laughs) And he says, said, he goes, well, I, I am. And he looked, he puzzled. I said, this is the last place I'd be if anybody gave me that diagnosis. 
And that's all I said. So at the end of the day, I got fired. I had to go find a different independent study. But what it showed me was, and I had different experiences when I was doing that of how unhelpful some doctors were. I had some lady that was on the edge of a bed and then I wasn't allowed to touch the bed or the person. And so a doctor was walking by. I said, hey, can you help me? I said, this lady is going, I have this bad feeling this lady's going to fall off this bed. She was literally on the edge. And I said, can you help me? I said, she was really, can we put the band? He said, that isn't my job. And he continued walking. <laughs> and so I just took the buzzer and got the nurse to come in. I said, tell me who that doctor is because I never want to go to him. <laughs> it's just, and, and so we, we fixed the bed for this woman. She never even knew it. And, and we left. So I just really learned from those experiences that I didn't want to be a medical doctor. And I was originally, when I was doing this work study, I was also in a, uh, starting an MBA program and I hated it. So those experiences that I had at the University of Michigan Hospital just made me think there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. And there's got to be a shorter way to, to do your life and live it to its fullest. And so I decided not, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was waiting on tables at the time. And a friend of mine who was decided to go to chiropractic school decided I was going to go to chiropractic school also. And I said, absolutely not. I go, those people are quacks. I don't want to go, you know, and I go, let's change the subject. And I injured myself. And when I was telling you in their pre-talk, as I was in this guy's office and I was watching him do his thing. And I thought to myself, if he can do this, I can do it better. (laughs) And then I went out of there, went and, you know, applied for school, decided when I wanted to start. And I never looked back. And I've had situations with people that I've seen them come crawl in, walk out. I've seen people who've had the flu come in with the flu. I have a special remedy so they don't throw up all over my office. And so they have it so that it, it like quells the, the symptoms. And then what happens is, is that, you know, they walked out and four hours later, they call me up and going, I don't know what you did, but I don't have the flu anymore. I feel phenomenal. And I did a lot of nutrition work. I was, you know, I looked at how the pieces of the puzzle fit in. And when I learned how to do that from some of my very good mentors, you know, I just did things that made sense. And if it didn't make sense, I always told patients, if I won't do it, I'm not going to ask you to do it. We might investigate it together, but I'm not going to tell you to do something that I've never done or wouldn't do myself. So that's kind of a big nutshell. (laughs) Thank you for sharing a fascinating story and isn't it amazing how our past experiences sort of shape sort of what we're doing and, and lead us in a direction, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I need to ask the obvious question, Pat. That obvious question to me is what is health to you and why is it so important? Well, there's a traditional like explanation in Webster's Dictionary, which is that it's the absence, uh, it's not merely the absence or infirmities. So a lot of times people associate health with being sick, throwing up in the toilet, that type of thing. They, they, if they're not doing that, and if they have the ability to go do whatever it is that they want to do, then they don't feel sick. They, it's a label that they put on it. But for me, it's much more intricate. For me, health has five components or five pillars to it. And the first pillar is diet, nutrition, Second pillar is exercise. The third pillar is proper sleep. The fourth pillar are positive mental attitude. Those are your thoughts, that type of thing. And then there is properly functioning nervous system. And that relates to posture, biomechanics, structure, function. 
So those have got to work in unison with each other. So when one is off balance, it's going to eventually affect the other. So if you have, when you eat poor food, it's going to affect how you structurally are. So this poor food can relate to nutritional imbalances that affect joints and joint posture. And, you know, if you don't exercise and you have weak muscles, you know, then a lot of people, like when you see the old person who's really hunched over and walking down the street, their rib cage is really pressing into all the internal organs. So by doing exercises or helping people when they go through life to do more exercises that are on the, the backside or the extensors helps them sit up straighter, also helps them look younger. <laughs> so that good posture can take off at least five, 10 years of your, you know, off your, what you, how you appear to other people just by that. I mean, we all know people who take selfies, you know, and they're looking down and they just, they're horrible <laughs> pictures, right? I mean, that's true. Absolutely. And just as you're saying that, I'm just adjusting my own posture to make sure I'm sitting more straight and things. So thanks. Thanks for the reminder, Pat. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> In so many areas and, and this area, this speciality of yours around health, there's these foundational elements. And, and again, you've mentioned five there. Is there one in that group of five that is maybe, can I say, more foundational? You know, it's often a really great starting point for people to get some solid actions, some solid habits, some solid performance around in your experience. Well, I look at what people have control over. And the biggest thing that somebody has control over is their diet. You know, by making good lifestyle choices and not take the easy way out all the time. Sometimes you've got to do that if you're driving cross country or you're doing certain things, there's ways that to do that. But nutrition is really important because it isn't what you have the ability, like they say, you are what you eat, but that's not really true. You are what you have the ability to absorb. So the lining in the intestinal tract is only one layer. So if it gets damaged from heavy metals or from having too much sugar, sugar's like pouring gasoline on a fire and kind of, a, you can visualize that for more inflammation. Now, it was 2004, Time Magazine had a front cover that said the surprising link to chronic illness and disease was inflammation. So one of the biggest foods that create inflammation are GMO-type foods, are sugar. And so when you have that sugar in your digestive tract, it slows down digestion, things don't get absorbed correctly. If you look at how people food combine, it takes, you know, for instance, a steak, it takes a long time for a steak to be digested. If you couple it with a food that, because the food and protein is acid and it all comes down to chemistry and potato is alkaline and it is a carbohydrate. So if people have like that steak and potato type thing going on, it takes a long time for that. And one kind of cancels the other. So you, you have to have the right kind of gastric juices to digest the steak and a different kind of similar, but different kind of pH to really help with the carbohydrate of the potato. So if you eat like that all the time, then it goes through your system ever so slow and maybe too slow. So some of the food starts to putrefy, so to speak. And then there can be, you know, that, that could lead to other issues. Like people who have like, one of the reasons why they do like colonoscopies is in the, for people who are big meat eaters, that's an issue. So that's kind of explains it more of a, in a street language type way. But I think the gut is the most, one of the most important things that you can pay attention to and how you help the gut be its best is to choose foods that are combined correctly and that support 
digestion and support your immune system because your immune system's all in your gut. I mean, a lot of it, they say that for mental illness, you know, like for depression, anxiety, any of those type of things that it comes from the gut. If you change the style of foods that you're eating and how you combine them, then you can make a change in your, in the mentality and, and what, you, what your mindset is. It's help, very helpful with that. I recently read a paper about how much serotonin is in the gut. And serotonin is a key. There's more there than there is in the brain. <laughs> so when you're eating, it's it's funny, like when you eat the turkey, right? And the tryptophan serotonin mix, and there's so much serotonin down there, and no wonder you go to sleep. <laughs> it's just the combination and the, the balance of that. And again, I'm thinking around this. We all get told in society around, you know, the things that we should do. So let's stay with this gut theme and, and what we're sort of absorbing into our bodies. What would you say that, what are we doing wrong? You know, I'm sure there's lots of things we're doing wrong in society because governments all around the world are putting more and more money into health nowadays. And I'm not sure that we're getting any, any better results. So in your opinion, in your vast experience, what is it that we're doing wrong in what we're putting into our bodies I think we're eating too many carbohydrates, too much sugar, and you know, sugar cuts the digestion. And we're not balancing out the foods. Like for me, I think the best diet that works for me is the Mediterranean diet. So the Mediterranean diet is a protein and vegetables, and it's colorful vegetables. It doesn't mean you can't eat potatoes, but you have, but you're not eating potatoes. It's the, the balance of like an example, like a good source of like how to balance that out would be, and a takeoff on that is Barry Sayers' book. It's an old book. And he was way before his time. He's still alive, by the way, but he wrote a book called Mastering the Zone. And in Mastering the Zone, it looks at how many protein that you need in order to have muscle endurance and have keep muscle mass. And that's really important in an anti-inflammatory diet because in his, his diet, he did uh, studies with people who had type 2 diabetes and they were able to reverse the type 2 diabetes, particularly with this diet because it's the anti-inflammatory diet. So I think that the biggest thing is like not only what food you choose to eat, but the you know, quality over quantity, you know, staying away from GMO. Don't eat corn if you don't know, if you didn't grow it yourself and you didn't know the corn was, you know, because you can buy organic seeds, but if you're not growing them in organic soil, then you're missing the point. And if the, the intestinal tract gets injured, because if people, there's heavy metals in our environment. So when you eat those and they go through your system, they're easily absorbed through the intestinal wall. And when you accumulate them and the liver can't handle that process anymore of getting them out of your body, it stores them in blood, brain, bone, and fat. So if you keep on having that accumulation, my idea is that it, it goes to your weakest link, weakest organist. So all the organs are like a Swiss watch. They're supposed to work just like a Swiss watch does. And we know the fine tuning of a Swiss watch. And so when one of the, the components is off, the rest of the watch is off too. But we don't always recognize that. We just, they will, you know, you're told that it's because you're aging. It's because like, oh, I had that when I was 40. Don't worry about it. Because you're listening to your friends. So you have all these signs and symptoms like floaters in the eye. You didn't have them when you're 20, but you have them when you're 50. You know, in Chinese medicine, that's a stagnation type of diagnosis. And, you know, you have to take a look at like, what are those Grim Reaper syndromes that we're not paying attention to? Bloat. So you, you gain five or 10 pounds and you think like, oh, you know, I'll just next, next month I'll get into that. And you don't ever really address it. And if you combine the wrong foods together, 
There's very good food combining charts that are on the on Google that you can find. And those food combining charts, you know, I have two of them. I have one that I had from 35 years ago, and I found a recent nice, pretty one that has green and different colors on it. But the idea is to put a protein with a vegetable, you know, and if you're going to have your vegetable, like green leafy vegetables, because they're really high in calcium and they're high in magnesium and they're high in nutrients, if they come from a good source. If not, then some, it looks like spinach, but it doesn't have all the components of spinach because it's a GMO spinach that has, it looks like, but not, and tastes like, but it doesn't have the micronutrients. And that's how I've learned that. And so I think the biggest thing that's missing, you know, or the biggest thing that we can do that we have control over is what goes from the plate and how it's prepared too. There's a lot of things that, you know, you don't need all the sauces. I mean, I always use the example of ketchup. I love ketchup. I grew up with it. My mother, when we weren't, you know, when we were waiting for dinner and she wanted you to get out of the kitchen and stop bothering her, she'd put ketchup, butter on bread and ketchup and tell you it was the best thing since apple pie and send you back outside for 20 or 30 minutes. But when I look at a bottle of, you know, ketchup and from England, there's no chemicals in it. So I don't understand why there has to be so many chemicals in food in order to preserve it. There's always a list, and this is a very interesting thing for someone to do. There's always a list on like vitamins of the inert ingredients. I would implore anybody to take a list of those inert ingredients on whatever their vitamins that they have and look up what the side effects of those are. And it's not just one use, it's long-term use. And, you know, for starters, and also something, if you ever want to find out, here's a little biohack, you know, it's a little health hack thing, is take white cider, like white vinegar, pour it in a glass and put only one capsule of whatever you take for as a supplement. If it doesn't dissolve in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, then you're not digesting it. You're wasting your money. So it's just like one of those things that you can do to like, as a, that's a good DIY thing to do because <laughs> um, some DIY, I have a, a client who's always testing me by his uh, do it yourself. You know, I had this going on, Pat, and I did this, but he doesn't tell me beforehand. He always tells me afterwards. And then if it worked out well for him or not, and I, it always makes me cringe when I have to talk to him about stuff like that. Cause I, he was in front of me, I'd bring his neck, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, why are you doing that? Why are you being a Guinea pig? I mean, it's just, it doesn't make, some of it doesn't make sense, you know, and some of it has worked and some of it hasn't. <laughs> so, so much for that idea. <laughs> well, and it can be dangerous also too. I mean, there's, for instance, let's take the example of high blood pressure, uh, high blood pressure. There's specific drugs that Western medicine has to control high blood pressure. Then there are alternatives that can control high blood pressure, like B12, B-complex. There's things that um, like Hawthorne Berry, things like that can control blood pressure. But the point is, is that when you're taking the medication, you're watering down the symptom. If you're taking the alternative medications and like pharmaceutical, but then like nutraceutical type things, you're watering down the situation. The thing is that you don't know why you have it. Like, why in the first place do I have high blood pressure? And then look for the cause of that and treat the cause why you're helping the symptoms. You know, that's how I look at when I'm looking at somebody. It's like, you got this going on. That's your diagnosis. Go get your diagnosis and come to me and we'll figure out how to like, you know, do that. Like me wanting to, I wanted to arrive in Sydney. <laughs> if I come down there, I want to arrive in time for a meal. Um, <laughs> I don't want to arrive in the middle of the night. So I would make my trip, make my plans based upon 
when I want to be someplace and where I want to be. So I look at what the end result is for somebody and I design programs that are very, very specific, individualized per person so that they can get to that goal where they want to go faster and with more tangible results. It can be simpler too, but simpler, you know, when I tell somebody, I always qualify the word simply or simpler by saying it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy because we get, we're so like prone to do things by habit. It's like, which leads me into the idea of why I'm thinking of it is that people always say, some people say to me, oh, I have a genetic pool for heart disease in our family. I said, does everybody in your family have heart disease? Usually the answer is no. And I said, well, if you have the genetic prototype and you eat the same foods that got your parents in that same place or your grandparents in that same place, more than likely you will have, and especially since foods are not the high quality that they were in the 20s and the 30s, where they weren't using pesticides and insecticides on plants and vegetables to eat them, and they weren't pumping up the meat with antibiotics and other things. So people were healthier. They, they were eating organic then <laughs> and didn't know it. It's just like taking those things and piecing them together correctly is important. Our interview will continue after this. An expression of gratitude or reciprocity, no matter how large or small, is an important part of a healthy culture and relationships. Our friends at Jangler have a great app that allows you to send a gift card with a personal video, voice message or funny gif. You can send right away or schedule to send on the perfect day and time. Set and forget. I like that. I have found it perfect for clients, employees, birthdays, or any celebration where I can't be there in person. It's quick, easy to send, and you can spend instantly in-store or online when you receive a card. Check it out at jangler.com.au. Pat, I want to go back to, it's great you mentioned high blood pressure because I think that's something that in the world of, of business and organizations, that seems to come up a lot where people have high blood pressure for whatever reason, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm hoping you can help us with that. Let's say that I came to you and I've got this diagnosis of high blood pressure. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you work through, you know, how you first assess them as a person, what their habits are and all those sorts of things to help it try and improve their situation? Well, the first thing I do is I have paperwork to fill out and part of my paperwork and which includes my book, Why Are You Sick, Fat and Tired, has a very intensive system summary questionnaire of all the 11 systems of the body. So that gives me the first picture of where the high priority and low priority is at and how your health maps out in that Swiss watch kind of idea. And so then you can relate this organ system to that organ system. It just, it's, you know, it, it brings up my computer and I pull the pieces of the puzzle together for that. So that would be the first thing that I would do. Then I would ask about a lot of things like, you know, the types of foods that you eat. I would ask you about your environment. What kind of chemical cleaners are you using in your house? Because there's a lot of toxins in our system, our solar system, on our earth system that cause problems like high blood pressure. And those toxins can be from the cleaning things that you use in your house to, you know, the uh, foods, like any type of um, gardening type of, you know, chemicals that you use. 
They can be from anything in the air component. We have a lot of chemtrails around Washington, D.C. There's hundreds of them sometimes. And then there's like, you know, the, the food, food's laced with things. Like, you know, there's somebody asked me one time, you have a can of Coca-Cola up there, which is 22 teaspoons of sugar. And, you know, how many grams you got to look at grams of fat, you know, like grams of fat, the protein, the carbohydrates, and what the, is that good ratio? So there's a lot of things. And it's not just like, you know, like cutting out salt's going to cut and do the deal. There's inflammation someplace. So the source of most chronic illness and diseases is that inflammation. And the idea of reason why I do that system approach in those questionnaires is to find out what the weakest link is. I also implore anybody who has high blood pressure to make sure they also do a heavy metal test because there can be, there's components in heavy metal that are out there that can be causative for um, high blood pressure also. So, you know, in looking for the cause of it, you have to be a CSI agent <laughs> you know, and, ask, and keep on asking questions. And sometimes, you know, I've applied the same kind of question and answer thing, believe it or not, with my dog. And because my dog had huge exposure to mosquito insecticide when I was going to Florida to do clinical rounds in a chiropractic college that's down there. And so I thought I was going to lose him that night. And then I've been working ever since then because it affected, it induced internal bleeding and it induced a couple types of anemia and kidney issues and liver issues. They are all shutting down and luckily we'll able to turn that around. And I've been working for two years to get his blood work back to normal. And his last blood work was the first one in two years that was like his RBCs and the things that, you know, are important for him to have started to, you know, glue and come back together. I just hope it stays that way. But it, you know, you apply those same principles. I apply those principles that I use with him. I apply it with people also. And sometimes, you know, we all have a box, right? Of what our tools are. We, we all know what the question is. Like, this is how I approach my solution to this problem. And, you know, and you look at what it is. Sometimes our solution, especially if it's our health, are not inside our box they're outside. And so looking at like, you know, what are all my possibilities? If I have high blood pressure, what can I do in order to change that around? And sometimes it's as simple as like losing some weight because a lot of people are overweight, but you can be overweight internally, so to speak, and have a high visceral fat content and still be thin. And everyone's going, well, he looked healthy. Why did he die of a heart attack? You know, that's like, well, there's other reasons, underlying reasons that don't always surface and there's times when we have our health, we have a big health glitch that some of those things that are lurking below the surface start to surge. We see that, especially with people with chitostine storms where the immune system shutting down with COVID and people who seemingly are, were very, very healthy, you know, have it, you know, will pass because their immune system is not handling whatever the situation is. So it, it's very, you know, when you're looking at high blood pressure, and we got the COVID, sorry. Um, but if when you're looking at high blood pressure, you can look at what's traditional to take, then you look at alternative. But to really know, you've got, you can't guess, you've got to test. And testing, like looking at what's uh, the going on in the summation of the system survey questions, for instance, that I ask, every doctor asks those questions. Some of them are more complete than others. So you got to look at like, well, what is it? You know, and that's why I always, I like saying that I'm a CSI detective <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that. And the Chinese diagnose also, are you familiar with Chinese diagnosis? No. 
The Chinese diagnose their primary way to do that. Well, they look at your face, but they look on your wrist. There's three points on your wrist that on both sides that represent organs. And so they look at that and they look at your tongue. And when you combine those three plus a whole huge of questioning that the Chinese intake is a little bit longer than it's not as long as my intake. It's a little bit shorter, actually. But I have a huge intake that I, I go back and look at medical records and all sorts of all sorts of things. And I look at blood work, particularly that for with people. So when I see somebody who only has like a thyroid test that only tests the TSH, then I go, did they do the whole panel? No, you got to go back. You got to get the whole panel. You need better information. Women who have estrogen tests, they should have all estrogen tested every time. They should do the whole panel. It's not negotiable. It's important because how estrogen gets handled, same thing for testosterone. How testosterone gets handled, if there's a glitch in it, you're not going to necessarily see that on a basic test. But for things that are important like that, you know, because you're looking at, there's so many people who have breast cancer. There's so many men who have testicular cancer, you know, and cancer of the prostate. And then if you don't know you have it, it's your weak link. And then it goes to your next organ system because it, it can only do so much. And then that's when you start seeing things like that metastasize other places. How do we as a society get ourselves into this situation where I guess I'm listening to you and I'm thinking that health is such a personalized, such an individualized thing for me. You know, we're, we're different people, different bodies, and we maybe process things differently. But the common approach is go to the GP and they'll ask maybe one or two questions and then they'll give you some pills to sort something out. So that's become the norm and that's become widely accepted in society, whereas it's your type of medicine and looking at the holistic view and taking an individualized approach is the alternative way. How did we get ourselves into this space? Because I think about this and think, well, shouldn't the alternative way actually be more the mainstream? Because that's a more individualized approach to take and we are all very individual people. Well, you know, in medical school, Mark Hyman, he used to be the um, president of the International Functional Medicine Foundation, I think is what it is. And he made a statement at one point in time, if I remember it correctly, saying when he was in school, they were taught how to treat like high blood pressure. They would treat everybody with high blood pressure the same way. And so it's a hit and miss. I had a friend who had high blood pressure and started taking high blood pressure meds and he was allergic to them. He took a picture of his face. I wasn't at some place where I could get to my my telephone. I didn't see it till like the next day, but his face, his lip was as big as his nose. It was like swollen all around because he was having this reaction to this drug. And so, you know, Dr. Mayo from Mayo Clinic said one medication for somebody could save their life. The next person who takes the same thing reacts very differently. So you have to be really wise. And what happens is is that people will, you know, I have that high blood pressure problem, right? So if I have the high blood pressure problem, I go to my doctor, my doctor gives me medication. And then he doesn't tell me to check in in like a week. He tells me to check in in three weeks or three months, something like that. And so in my world, I talk to people on a weekly basis. And if I'm treating somebody physically as a, when I was a chiropractor, I used to see them three times a week. So I got to have much more personalized, like hands-on and, you know, talk to people about, Hey, this muscle over here is feeling really rigid. Did you slip and did you fall? You know, is that a possibility? 
So I think we get into that position because it's an easy way out. It's like, you know, if you're driving and you go to McDonald's or if you, there's these places here called Sweet Pea and Sweet Pea is a salad place that actually has organic lettuce and, and components to it. And you can go to there, you know, instead. And does it take you longer? Sure. I mean, it's like, I don't, you've got Starbucks there, right? Starbucks in the United States, you can go to order a coffee. It's the worst coffee to me in the world. I do not like Starbucks coffee. And I like a cup of coffee, a good cup of coffee that I can sit and think, but it's, to me, it tastes like it's burnt and you've got to wait forever for it. In order to get it. And looking at that, you know, you have to like, I think people have got to learn that it's going to take time and that there's in, in the sixth chiropractic principle. I can't believe I'm remembering this from 38 years ago. The sixth chiropractic principle is there is no process that does not require time. And it's true. So like, if you're looking at like, what's my healing process? Like, how did I get here in the first place? And a lot of times medications dilute the situation. And when you look at antacids or you look at things like Prilosec and Nexium, which are right hand, left hand of the same medication, one's a generic, one is the real one. When you're looking at that and if you keep on diluting the problem, then it's like the fire department coming to your house and spraying your whole house down, breaking through the windows with an ax in the door, which would represent surgery. And they hold the whole house down and they tell you, look at, I saved your house, but he ruined everything that was inside. Look at, isn't that great? And then you have to have a carpenter of someone like me come in and go like, wow, this is a mess. Let's get rid of the stuff that we don't need. And let's see what we can do about repairing what we got. And you got to have somebody who has the right tools to do that. Like he would never go to a dentist, you know, on the hose part, because they have a hose too, <laughs> but it's not the right kind of hose. And likewise, you know, in state in situations of like emergencies, like for somebody who's having a stroke, you would never send them to me. You would take them to the hospital and they would do emergency type things with them. They would put the hose in, which is the medications. But when they hit a brick wall, what they do, because it's only what they know in their box, their next thing is surgery. I know of an instance of a woman who for 10 years had blood in her stools on and off, and they couldn't figure out what the problem was. And they finally said, we don't know what else to do, so we're going to give you a bag. And she said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, we're going to take a part of your colon out, and you're going to have a bag. And she said, well, I have six kids. And they said, well, she goes, can I play with my kids? They go, no, you probably wouldn't want to do any roughhousing with them. You know, can I go swim? No. <laughs> and, you know, all the questions that she has, she goes, well, I'm going to go look for something different. And she found somebody who was a, a chiropractor who did a lot of alternative and did a lot of nutrition work. And the first thing he did is he did a test. He wanted to see what foods in her diet could possibly be irritating her. And the interesting thing in that story is the person who that was involved, her culprit was avocados and she loved avocados because <laughs> you can have reactions to food and not know you're having that reaction that it's what food it specifically is because it can happen three days, five days later, you know, so you don't really tie it into like the immediate allergic reaction. It isn't like that kind of severe take me to the hospital thing, but it's important to like look at the whole person and not, you know, and to say, take this, we'll see how this works. Because they're looking at like, let's fix the symptom and let's not fix the cause. Because they don't know what the cause is. They're not trained to think that way. And it doesn't make what they do incorrect. It just makes it that's what they do. And you just need to know that when you go into that, in that realm, into their box. 
you know? So that's why I said earlier, like you got to go outside, especially for your health, sometimes outside and see what's the possibility is and what is the best course that makes sense and not what makes sense for you for something. And for me with the same situation could be two totally different things to get to the same endpoint. Yeah, it, it sounds like such a minefield and, you know, so many angles that you can you can go into, isn't it? So you referred back to the, I think it was the 11 systems and, and related back to your, your book. Is there, again, in your experience and, you know, all the people you've seen over the years, in those 11 systems, is there one or two maybe that is jumps out more often that something within that part of the system is creating so many other issues so are are you finding any patterns i guess is what i'm asking fix your gut change your life that's a dr pat quote i always go like when i'm looking at it very rarely do i not go to the gut but i do have to say that i always caution people when they're answering those questions to really answer them in present time and not be in a rush i had a colleague's uh, daughter who filled out my form and she had a very very severe case of tick like from Lyme's disease twice. And so when I looked at her chart, I called her up and said, were you running to an airport? Because I knew she was coming back from Florida, back to her parents' house. This is before COVID. And I said, were you running back up here, you know, back up North and doing this at an airport? She goes, I was, how do you know? And I said, because I've never met anybody who has an immune compromised immune system that doesn't have a gut issue. I have a very specific questionnaire that I look at how if somebody is a candidate for to be able to do a, a detox or a tonification process so you get rid of toxins on a very on a much easier basis and that tells me when i get that number i can also sometimes see a low score a low priority in the liver because the liver is still handling that but some i have very specific questions in another questionnaire that tells me if somebody's a candidate for you know, going in and doing a quote unquote detox because the liver does the function of that. What you want to do is you want to tonify the liver's ability to do that better. So there's supplementation that you can take in a specific program to go from point A to point B. And then the program that I use for that is either 10 days or 28 days. I rarely ever use the 28 days because I want to like tonify the liver. And then I want to let it sit for five days with a specific diet. I mean, anybody can give up something for 21 days. I mean, you know, it's like if it's important. And the thing is that people, they're in this crisis mode, right? And the thing is not to get to the crisis mode. And so in in the questionnaire, I mean, yes, I see the, the the gut come up more frequently, but it's just like there doesn't, I mean, if you looked at, I think this is a really great book for anybody, even myself, to do New Year's Day, take a couple hours, go through it, answer the questions and look what my health snapshot is in the beginning of the year. Because when I'm making those health, you know, those new year's resolution and health resolutions in the beginning of the year, this will definitively show you where to start that journey. If you know where to put your time and energy and money into where your health, and you can do it at a reasonable cost, then it makes sense to pay attention before you get into crisis. Because when you get in crisis, there's people like, now fix it. I'm going, you got to be kidding. I go, it would take like two months to do. Now it's going to take you two years. So you have to take, you know, to weigh that out. And a lot of people are, you know, they don't want to do something unless they feel like there's a problem, which is back to the definition of health is not merely the absence of disease or infirmities. You know, you can have something rolling underneath there, you know, being sick, like the 
that I had a girl from Australia actually who gave me a hard time about the title of my book. She was in my business group and she said, I'm not fat, I'm not tired, and I'm not sick. And I said, Well, I agree with you. You don't look fat, but you could have internal fat. And you know when you're tired, but you don't know when you're sick. And a lot of people don't experience some of those bigger signs and symptoms until they're they hit around 40 and they think like, oh, I've been having this a little bit one too many times, you know, but they don't, they rely on family and friends for their diagnosis and or they, they read a book <laughs> and they try to do it yourself. <laughs> so what do you suggest that we all do in you know, I may be feeling quite fit and healthy and I run and I play football and those sorts of things and, you know, I eat okay food, certainly not perfect, but how do I find out if I am actually sick? You know, I don't like the word sick because in the sick model of medicine, it's always when you're in crisis. So it's, I'm always careful, like if you see if you have something going on or something that's kind of brewing and looking below the surface, the easiest way to do that, that I know of, and a person who reviewed my book said, I've never seen a book do this before, is take the questionnaire. It's easy. It's the hundred, the book's 110 pages, something like that. And it has, you know, questions that you can identify because you take the numbers and you put them on a chart. So you, you can see where things are like, you know, the higher the number, the higher the priority. So your weakest link is going to be a high priority. And your strongest link is going to be a low priority or none, hopefully. Pat, I know know we're starting to run short of time, but I really want to ask you around mindset because that was one of the five pillars you mentioned very early on in the interview. And when you talked about gut and the things that we put into our body, where does mindset sit in this whole thing about making decisions on what we're actually putting into our body? A lot of people... The, I asked the first question, my first question I asked people in my interview process is, um, how has your health been in the last two years? And I wait for an answer. <laughs> I don't talk. And then I ask, you know, after they tell me whatever it is they want to tell me, like, oh, it's been okay. But, you know, like, you know, is there any, when they say, okay, I'm going, so what happened? Because okay means to me something. You know, like I was like had the flu a couple times, or I had, I had a really bad cold. I got more colds now, and, and so my second question is, if you knew what to do to be healthy, would you do it? Because that paradigm shift, and you know, going from having someone else do everything for you, you have to have accountability. So one of the things that, you know, is important to me to offer to somebody is a lot of support because we all have, you know, it's just like, it's not, I have a really great rule. (laughs) And my rule is that if you break a rule that I give you, just start the next moment, not breaking the rule. Like if you have, like, I have this thing about whites, you know, like sugar, salt, and, you know, that type of stuff, like don't eat it. You know, if you can't pronounce a word in, in the ingredient, don't eat it. And if it doesn't, like ideally five ingredients are the best, you know, it's just like, and they're all that you can pronounce. So it's important to, on the mindset to really say, is this something I really want to do? You know, because nobody wants to be a burden to their family and nobody wants to be a burden to their parents or their wife or to their kids. And that's what happens. I mean, the statistic they say, which I can see happening even more, but the statistic was by the year 2030, one of two people, 50% of the population in the United States, this is a statistic, will have some kind of level of chronic illness or disease. That's a lot of sick people. 
And when you look around and you really get the realm of like that mindset, like, what does that mean? Well, there are your parents, they're your boyfriend, they're your husband, they're your kids, they're your best friends, they're your grandparents. That's a huge number of people who suddenly have like, and they don't want to be a burden, but people feel that way when they get that kind of sick that they need that kind of help. I was at a women's conference on a mindset conference for a retreat last October in Orlando. And the biggest thing that stood out to me, I went because I wanted to relax. I wanted to go to a mindset thing, you know, put my mind in gear. And I was pulled right out of it when people got an opportunity to share. And we had like maybe like 20 people a day shared. Out of the 20 people a day sharing, six or seven of them had cancer. I had to stop what I was doing because I got sick. And I had to give, run, I had to either stop my business so I couldn't do it. So it's so important to have your health in order to do a business. And if you're going to do a business and you're going to be that level of stress, you better eat really clean and you better have, and better look at what nutrients that you have to have that sustainable energy all day long. So you're not depleted. So it's just like, but I was amazed at the number. I started taking pictures of the people who were talking and I started counting And the statistic for me was it was a huge number of people for 500 people and only 20 people a day talking. It's like out of 40 people, there was like 14 of those 40 people who got up and said they were, they were on their deathbed or they were diagnosed with such a significant disease that they had to stop and regroup what they were doing. And that's got to affect your relationships. And it's got to affect how you approach your life. But the thing is like, well, if you could have taken, you know, care, I've had so many women tell me my husband needs this more than I do. And I went, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) It's like, you need it more than your husband does because you're the women are the caretaker of the house. We ruminate over everything. We like overthink everything. We think, okay, so I've got it. Like, you know, you're always like making it, you're like Santa Claus, you're making a list, checking it twice and or three times or four times, you know, because you care very deeply about the people who you're so um, engaged with. So looking at that stat, which is a real, which is an actual stat, one in every three people in the United States, you know, right now in the statistic have some level of heart disease and heart disease is directly related to diabetes. And 40%, they estimate 40%, I don't know who makes these numbers up or how they actually get to them, but 40% of the people who have diabetes will more than likely have Alzheimer's. I don't know anybody who wants to lose their mind. But people are not the the frustration as a physician is people really caring about their health before they get to that crisis and making a difference on on that level. So I hope your listeners kind of just listen to that and then going into the new year that they turn that leaf and they feel like I'm important and I'm important to my family and I'm important to be here because nobody wants to watch, you know, I want to play golf. I want to play tennis. You know, I don't, I don't play tennis anymore as I was rotten at it before, but I like tennis. I like going out and hitting the ball. I like doing, you know, those kind of things. So, and you want it to be engaged and you want to participate in your life and not watch it go by, like live your life. Don't let life live you. You know, that's the kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, I'm sitting here thinking there's a lot of unhealthy people and a lot of unhealthy leaders out there. So that takes us into, I guess, coming to a close on this interview. But obviously, you don't have the ability to just assess and and diagnose everyone now. But what bit of advice would you give to people? Where is that starting point for them if people are maybe not making the best choices around their health and around their lifestyle? Where do you advise people that they start? 
I would tell people to buy my book. It's a book that's just tells you it's pretty black and white <laughs> and it's well organized. And because that way you have something to work with. You have questions that you can go and you can advocate for yourself. So if you go to your physician, you can say like, hey, I got the stuff going on. And based upon this questionnaire that I did, which is nobody who's ever looked at my questionnaire that's a medical doctor of, or any other kind of doctor ever said, oh, this question doesn't mean this. They were actually like, how did you do this? <laughs> but they, it's a good place to start because then it gives you some base knowledge. And then you can look at, you know, like, your the whole picture. It's like when you go to just a cardiologist and a cardiologist tells you to take aspirin. Well, when that was approximately around 1984 and before 1984 in the United States, for instance, um, stroke was not a problem. Stroke was not one of the top 10 reasons why people died after people started taking aspirin, which is good for the heart, bad for your, like your circulatory system then, you know, you started seeing that number. And so strokes up there, strokes in one of the top 10 reasons why people in the United States die. So you can't just treat one organ system. They all interrelate to each other. But I will tell you, it starts with what goes in your mouth and making those wise like choices and, and like how to put, you know, foods together, how to cook them and take some interest into, you know, and when you're thinking cooking, I remember the book, like Water for Chocolate, they talk specifically in this book, this book, this woman was making a dinner and she was so sad because her parents arranged the marriage of her sister to the man she was in love with. And yet she had to make dinner for everybody. And the whole time while she made dinner, she was crying. And when people sat there and they started eating the food in the story, everyone at the table started crying and nobody knew why anyone was crying. <laughs> and that because you, because you are whatever emotion you're feeling when you're cooking, it goes into your food on a very kind of esoteric way. <laughs> well said, Pat. And thank you for that. Pat, to finish off, how can we get hold of you? I have a couple ways to get a hold of me. One way is through my website, which is healthteamnetwork.com. I am on LinkedIn. I also am in the process of, on those pages, you can find ways to connect with me. I have a Facebook page for my business that people can like and they can follow. And I just am about to release an online course called Stronger Than Medicine, where uh, some of the things that we're talking about here, I do a primary intake with everybody in this course. And then we have group sessions and talk about like how to, what's the best way to get rid of stress, how to identify it, how to have energy all day long, how to eat better, how to think better, how to move better, how to feel better, and how to just go out and just grab your life and just do it. So that is from on a bit.ly. If people wanted to find out more information about that, they could go on bit.ly. And for my generation, I have to spell it out, B-I-T point. L-Y forward slash stronger than medicine. The younger generation knows that bit.ly thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but anyway, I'm looking forward to doing it. It's a, it's a beta launch and um, it's at a significantly reduced price right now going into the new year. And the other way to find me is I'm on Instagram. That's another way to grab me, but I'm always available. I'm always, you know, I always make time to talk and interact and engage with people and my goal is to help masses of people get better information so that they can make better decisions and have 
correct information to make those decisions on so they know what they need to do for themselves. And then I help them and kind of push them off the precipice in that direction so that they can achieve their all their health goals and their dreams that they've ever, that well, everything that they ever wanted in life. Because you can't do it without your health. Absolutely. You cannot. And it's really about if you haven't got your health, then how can you really be performing at your best? So, Pat, thank you very much for sharing all of that information today. That conversation was fascinating, to be honest. It just made me really think about some of the things that I'm doing myself and I'm sure that other people listening, hopefully it makes them think about their own health and some decisions they can make and where they can get started if they've got some issues. So, Pat, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge today, your wisdom. Great to have met you also. I know you and I have had a few chats through LinkedIn, so fantastic there. So, I I can second what you've said about having some good conversations with people. Thank you very much. It's great to connect with you. Thanks for being a guest on the Culture Things podcast today. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Loved it. (laughs) Absolutely loved it. Interviewing Dr. Pat got my mind racing about the importance of self-leadership. When I reflected on a number of scenarios over the last two and a half decades, there have been a couple of consistent patterns linked with the poor leaders I have seen. One pattern was they all had a focus on self-serving as opposed to serving others. The other pattern was they were very poor with maintaining consistently good habits, particularly around their own health. This reflection led me to some controversial questions. The first question that came to mind was, if a leader is unhealthy and not being the best version of themselves, How can they lead teams to be healthier and high-performing? The second question was, if you can't lead your own health, why should you be allowed to lead others? I wonder if your own experience casts some insight into those questions. These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Dr. Pat. My first key takeaway, healthy leaders are high-performing leaders. Now, I'm not saying that if you are healthy, you are automatically a high-performing leader. But I am saying that based on my own experiences, healthy leaders are consistently higher performing than unhealthy leaders. Let's face it, if you don't have the discipline to be healthy, it stands to reason that is unlikely you will have the discipline necessary to be a high performing leader. My second key takeaway, leaders conduct regular health checks on their team. Like your own health, regular maintenance checks on your team will ensure problems are found quickly. When you find problems early and quickly, you can also fix and adjust quickly. If you don't put a regular focus on your team, the problems will grow and they'll be much harder to fix and will also take much longer to resolve. Be a leader and conduct regular health checks on your team. My third key takeaway, a healthy leader starts with a healthy mindset. Like so many things, you have got to want to do it and then set your mind to actually doing it. Whether it's your own health or the health of your team, Making the choice is the first step. Once you have put yourself into the right mindset, you will set about ensuring the five pillars of your own health are being worked on in unison. Achieving a healthy team is no different. Working on the four disciplines of organizational health must be worked on in unison. It all starts with a positive mindset and then taking action to do it. So in summary, my three key takeaways were healthy leaders are high-performing leaders. Leaders conduct regular health checks on their team. A healthy leader starts with a healthy mindset. To win this week's $30 Jangler e-gift card of your choice, answer this question. What is the title of Dr. Pat's book? Send your answer to brendan 
at brendanrogers.com.au. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.